Hi, listeners. Today's episode includes topics of racism and racial violence. While we approach these topics with great care, we wanted to advise our listeners who experience trauma related to this topic ahead of the episode. Thanks for listening. In this true crime law and order podcast, the episodes are presented by two separate yet equally ridiculous individuals, one who researches the actual crime and the other who recaps the episode. These are their stories. What are you up to today? What have you been doing so far? Uh, I've been pretty productive today, actually. I wow. I know, right? On a weekend? I mean, that wasn't like a wow, like I'm surprised or shocked, but I'm just... <laughs> Impre- I guess impressed. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you know what it is? It's, it's, you know, it's early afternoon and it's a weekend. So it's my day off and I enjoy my time off. But I kind of woke up early today. I was already sort of up for the day. So I went and got my car washed. I did some errands. And oh, remind. Oh, I have it written down. I went someplace, but I'll save it for the other podcast for you. <laughs> Because it's related. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, how about you? What have you, what have you been up to on your... Uh, your weekend um, off. Well, I was behind on preparing for our podcast, so I actually watched the Law and Order episode this morning and did my notes for that. And then I have spent the rest of the morning watching Avatar. Good not choice. The, uh, not the James Cameron movie. <laughs> the <Obviously>. cartoon. <laughs> I say obviously, but I, I actually didn't mind the James Cameron movie when it came out. I mean, that's the only time I've seen it was in the theaters when it came out. Yeah, you I know, never saw it. I liked it. I mean, I like fantasy, Fern Gully. Kind of, I mean, it's essentially Fern Gully with blue people. Yeah, I hear so. it's like Fern Gullies with dinosaurs in space. Oh my gosh. Okay. That's how my brother described it. Yeah, me. kind of. It was entertaining. It was, you know, uh, visually beautiful for the time and, you know, everyone was seeing it. I liked it, but yeah. I'm sure if I watched it back now, I, I might be one of those whole pokers you know <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. we watched a lot of uh, older movies recently and i've seen some of them stand up and some not so who knows what yeah. avatar where avatar falls but what what season of avatar are you watching out of curiosity you're just restarting it or uh i think i'm on season two now because there's only three seasons right i believe so yeah yeah, yeah i'm on season two they just convinced the Earth King and Bossing say that there is actually a war because he was, you know, being manipulated by the Dai Li. Yeah. And yeah, I like it. I feel like I've always I've I always liked it, but I feel like when it first starts off, it's like very it's not very, but it's a little bit little kids cartoony. And then it within a few like halfway through the first season, I feel like it starts to become a cartoon that is enjoyable by adults as well yeah and so i feel like at this point in season two it's kind of like fully realized itself as a cartoon for all ages and so i'm i'm getting more like i think i was keeping the first season and uh, on in the background and like doing other things but now i'm actually just sitting and watching it again nice i think that's a really uh accurate way to describe the progression of avatar yeah because i wonder if the reason why um we still haven't finished the last season of legend of korra we were waiting we got mad that we we went and bought like a (laughs) subscription to like some service so we can watch it and then it came out like on netflix a few weeks later (laughs) so you were just mad well we were we just decided to cancel the subscription until it came out on netflix and then since it's come out on netflix we've like bookmarked it but we haven't picked up where we left off is the whole thing on netflix i believe so i'm I'm fairly sure at this point it's all on netflix but 
I wonder if the reason it took longer to get into The Legend of Korra is because it doesn't have that same sort of progression. It sort of starts out already as a... Adult um, cartoon. Yeah, yeah. And not like, not porny, but... (laughs) (laughs) Damn, unfortunately. (laughs) Actually, one of the characters on the show is kind of cute on uh, Korra. Oh, um... Oh, I know, uh, B, B, um, The dopey one. Uh, yeah, 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 but what's his name? It starts with a B. It does, doesn't it? It's like Bama Boomy? or something. Ba- Boomy, Boomy, I think. Is it Boomy? No, Boomy's someone else. Boomy is an old, um, one of the older avatars, I think. N- no, oh, no, mm-hmm. Boomy is the king of the Earth King, or oh, the king of, he's Avatar Aang's friend. Me. He's the old, old man, kind of ruler of a city. Oh, right, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't remember the guy's name. But anyway, he's very cute, even though he's like, he's like, you know, the one that becomes like a movie star sort of or whatever. He's also animated. Yes. <laughs> I should mention, he's also an animated character. Well, what am I doing? Bolin. Bolin. Oh, you looked it up, yeah. right? You had to have looked it up. I did. I okay, did, I was yeah. going to say that would have been quick. Yeah, so that's what I've been doing with my day is watching cartoons after watching Law and Order. Maybe I just needed a uh, palate cleanser after this episode of Law and Order because wow. Yeah, I was going to I was going to mention that. I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to say <laughs> we watched the show. Um, I did some of the research earlier in the week and then I actually watched the episode a little out of order. I don't normally do that process, but uh, we watched the episode yesterday <laughs> and I a I can't wait to hear some of your commentary i know it's so funny you so, know exactly you, what i'm talking i, I mean i don't even night. have to <laughs> no <laughs> and you were like i can't wait to see how you describe one of these scenes and the minute it started i was like well here's one of them oh yeah yeah and it's followed immediately by another so yeah. i i can't wait for that reason but like you said it was a it was a very heavy episode yeah um i'll let you you know color that in color in those blanks F- fill in that paint by number <laughs> yeah Ugh, boy. But yeah, it was a rough one. So I was wondering, maybe Avatar is a perfect palate cleanser. It is. It's, <laughs> you know, because all the problems get solved and everybody's happy at the end. And... Right. And you see people being rep- different uh, people being represented in a like positive way. And you yes. see a world of wonder and magic where, yes, there's war, but it doesn't necessarily have to do with how you look. No. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. So, so speaking of <laughs> speaking of what it, where where are we where are you who are we i uh this is ripped from the headlines it is a fact and fiction podcast that recaps episodes of law and order and the true crimes that inspired the show i am n hell yeah you are <laughs> <laughs> and i am matt one of these days we'll get this down yeah i think you know what i think we're we're really progressing we're almost at eight uh or we're not almost at eight this is episode eight we're almost at 10 episodes that's pretty cool yeah we've got i don't know how how many we have on our other podcast probably oh i think we have like 30 yeah we have to have at least 30 because we're in season two and yeah i think we're we're around 30 we haven't hit like 50 yet no we we haven't hit 50 uh but i know we're getting i think we're technically like 38 or something speaking of our other podcast hey if you guys are enjoying this we have another podcast that's currently in its second season it's called cool story it's a podcast where we're recapping a book series called the wheel of time by robert jordan and Mm -hmm. it is a fantasy book series and it's really really beautiful it's a really rich world there's i think 14 or so books 
you you said anime? there are 14 main books and a prequel right and then there's the show that's going to be premiering on amazon i don't know when but i mean I, they're constantly updating about it so it's in production currently right not post yet uh correct yeah so look out for that and check us uh, check us out. We go through a few chapters every episode and we have the same colored commentary and way more <laughs> that you get mm-hmm. here. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we have, I literally just counted how many episodes we had and then I forgot the number. I think it's <laughs> 33. Oh, nice. 34. Okay. I don't know. Pretty good. Oh, gosh, that shows you how long numbers stay in my brain. Right. And so, you know... <laughs> Even though we have another podcast that we've had for, you know, two seasons now, I would still consider us infancy here, right? This is a... In this one? Yeah, this is, you know, we're not going to compare our children. It's not no. right. No. <laughs> but we definitely have a favorite. Do we? And I won't, and I won't say which. Just like my parents, except for they do say which. <laughs> do your parents actually say which? No, no, no. We all, oh we all have a, um, we all have a, a theory. theory. There's four of us, uh, in our little clan, and we, we all four have a theory. It's changed over the years. Uh-huh. I don't know that I was ever it. <laughs> I wow. would say it's it dark. really. I know, right? It would cycle between my sisters, my two sisters, I think, who is the favorite. Uh-oh. I think me and uh-huh. my brother are. Um, we're lost causes. They don't hate us, <laughs> you know? But I don't think we're going to get favorite status. Okay. Unless one of my sisters really Fs up. <laughs> I don't know if I should hope for that or not. This is bleak. Yeah, I'm their favorite gay son. Are you also their only gay son? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. thankfully for them, yeah. Should we get into the episode? Yes, I am okay. dying to hear you go through this episode. I'm bated breath. Okay. So this episode is episode eight of season one of Law and Order. It is called Poison Ivy, and I do not know why it is called that. I still can't quite figure that out. I was going to ask you if you did any research into that, because I'm having a hard time understanding it either. My my best guess is that I'm, I, I'm not a botanist, <laughs> and I don't know mm-hmm. a lot about plants. I wish my friend Lisa oh, was here, because she would know. But does Poison out. Ivy like grow and like... Uh, ruin things like from inside or something like that is that a no, thing or is it like somebody, just very spready or something somebody in the episode goes to an ivy league school oh duh <laughs> okay i was Which like makes this title even stupider it I think, really but... does because my first thing when i saw it was like oh maybe it's i before i saw the episode or anything i was like oh maybe it's like a play on poison ivy the you know comic book that, yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, maybe it's some like toxication. Yeah. Kind of and then I was thing. like, okay, that don't know. That's yeah, this is definitely not what that's about. So <laughs> this episode is just a, a treat for all senses, really. Uh it's um pour, pour yeah. yourself a drink. Pour well, yourself honestly, a drink, neat, and just like settle in for this one because it was I am actually really nervous about what the true crime is if it's really if it's okay how similar is the true crime to this episode like percentage wise 95 90 i would say the most yet okay then definitely after i finish the episode uh my like recap will need to pause so that i can pour myself a drink (laughs) for the true crime (laughs) because the episode was awful right i know all right it was heavy so the episode opens on two beat cops you know, shock, they're arguing. Uh, mm-hmm. It seems to be their favorite way to open an episode lately. 
Sure does. And one of them decides he wants a sandwich. So they pull over and they see three, like, it's kind of weird. Like, (laughs) it's like they instructed three men to like run out of an alley but still fighting so it's like a clump of men <laughs> run out of the alley it's very strange. like a cloud of smoke with little stars and like yeah very uh, much yeah, shooting um, out of it yeah and <laughs> all the, legs and arms. the cartoon wine uh things going around yes it's very much the the cartoon crowd fight yes which reminds me um i just i'm gonna go get a sandwich so we're gonna pause too <laughs> <laughs> great Okay. So it's uh, three young black men who rush into view arguing or kind of fighting and they like see the headlights of the cop car and they freeze and then they just start running immediately. And so the police hop in their cruiser and start chasing them. I don't quite understand why the police started chasing them. Like they just ran away. Like right. is, is literally running away enough justification for police to like race after you and and whatever yeah i shouldn't be arguing about justification for police actions right now so Mm. Mm, mm, mm. so so one of the police officers like draws his gun and corners a couple of the guys who are on a like trying to get up a fire escape or get over a wall to to get away from the police and he tells them to freeze which they do and then we see another common law and order thing where then we cut away and we hear the gunshot, but we don't actually know what's happened because then I suppose it would ruin the storyline, perhaps. Perhaps. So the other cop who like heard the gunshot goes running towards his partner and sees him standing over the body of one of the young men who appears to be dead, has a gunshot wound, and the cop is kind of frozen there and says, he drew on me. And then the other cop yells at him to call it in. And uh, he calls him Fredo, which I I guess is his first name or a nickname or something. I'm sure his name's Alfredo. And like, it's probably short for Alfredo. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. They spell it on the TV F-R-E-D-D-O, which oh. to me looks like Fred. Oh, because I watch with captions, right? Yeah. So it looks like Fredo to me, but they everyone on the show pronounces it Fredo. So I think then we get the the uh, ten minute long title sequence, <laughs> and then Logan is on the site, and uh, he asks a cop about the other men who were there uh, involved in the you know running away, and we learn that one of them has a a large birthmark on his cheek. So they're like, okay, we can you know track this guy down. He's got a, an identifiable mark on his cheek. Logan thinks somebody around must have heard the gunshot because they're in like a a neighborhood with apartments all around. And the beat cop says in this neighborhood and is kind of implying nobody will talk to them like this is a, a, you know, maybe not as good of neighborhood. Yeah, like they're they're protecting their community and they don't trust cops, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean... Isn't uncommon of many neighborhoods, but I there's uh that didn't just come out of nowhere. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Everybody is consoling poor Fredo, and even Captain Cragen is on scene. This I think this is the first time we've ever seen him outside of his office. Yes. And another detective says to the captain, No muss, no fuss. Punk drew on him, self-defense. And Grievy is kind of indignant about this and is like, that's it. Like just wrap it up. We're done. And the that other guy who I think we learn is from Internal Affairs says, as far as we're concerned, yeah, it's closed. Um, I'm pretty sure you don't close a case on a active crime, crime scene. scene. <laughs> yeah, you basically just got there. Right. And you're like, uh, yeah, case closed. I, case closed. And aren't they like all eating like 
honey buns and like <laughs> elephant ears and like every large Danish. oversized pastry, like an apple fritter the size of your head. Someone's got pastrami hanging out of their God, mouth. I love an apple fritter. Oh, my effing Lord. Oh, I had a pumpkin scone this morning. I almost passed <gasps> out from delight. Well, now that now that you're on keto light, yes. you can do things like that again. Amen. And can I can I also mention about this scene when they said no muss, no fuss? I don't know about you. I'm sure I'm sure I'm the only one out there that that thinks this. I cannot hear the phrase no muss, no fuss without thinking of <laughs> this is so dumb, but it happened. You remember on Nick at Night? Yeah. <laughs> the bumpers they would put between episodes and commercials that were just like advertisements for Nick at Night. We've talked about yeah. this before in the other podcast. Yeah. There's one that goes, no must, no fuss, no heavy perfume, just Nick at Night in your living room. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of remember that. <laughs> and every time I hear no must, no fuss, like in a commercial, it's usually in commercials for cleaning products, uh-huh. I instantly in my head that plays. <laughs> and it oh, did, I get it. It's it did like here a cleaning too. product commercial. Got it. Okay. Oh, man. Anyway, so, I wish that's what what uh, what was happening. I wish I was yeah. watching Nick at night. <laughs> Honestly, I I know ever since our conversation last night about Bob Newhart and the Newhart show, I've been like kind of wanting to go back and, and watch them. I wonder, they're, oh they are probably on some kind of streaming God, service me, at this point, right? Me too. And I yeah, I think they are. I'm sure they're on like, I think on Prime Video, you can like subscribe to like Nickelodeon nick hits for like daytime tv and then you probably could you know subscribe to nick at night or some Mm. bs thing that costs a million dollars a month for four shows like (laughs) if you are out there and you're a listener of bob newhart or the bob newhart show tell us if they still hold up send us a little tweet at ripped headlines or an instagram message or an email at ripped headlines pod at gmail.com and let us know if it's still any good yeah tell us tell us how bob newhart or the newhart show has held up we're very we're very curious is Bob Newhart still alive? He oh, can't be, right? I don't know. Um, he might be. I mean, Dick Van Dyke is older than Bob Newhart, and we still have not confirmed whether he's alive. Oh, I do have an update for that on the other oh, okay. on the other podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh my God, he's still alive. Okay, Bob Newhart. Good. I mean, he wasn't. You know, what's he like? He was 70 born something. In fifth, he was born in fifty eight, so that would make him. I'm not doing math. <laughs> I'm not doing that. All right, back to the episode. So, uh, Grievy and Logan walk apart from that group of of detectives or internal affairs folks, and Grievy says, "Open and shut." You buy that? And Logan replies, "Well, what are you selling, Max?" <laughs> so, somebody push that rider into traffic, please. Somebody slap my face. <laughs> <laughs> so Grievy says, "No witnesses and a dead kid." And Logan is like, yeah, so. And Grievy says, well, if a civilian shot a, a kid, they wouldn't wrap it up in, t- in 10 minutes. And amen. That's true. Amen. Hello. <laughs> it's absolutely true. <laughs> so uh, then we cut to Logan and Grievy interrogating this local merchant who she says that she's seen the young man with the birthmark. birthmark. He basically comes in every day to buy two moon pies and goes and hangs out in the schoolyard. What is a moon pie? Delicious. Is it marshmallow? Yes, it's delicious. Okay. It's, is um, it like a ding dong with no, marshmallow? It's like, a, okay, you know oatmeal cream pies? Like the little Debbie? I haven't had a lot of like the hostessy oh, type dessert things. You have, you've really missed out on a really... Uh, delicious but sad sad part of life which is the packaged uh treat market packaged desserts yeah yeah. (laughs) i would say the it's like two cookies 
that are crumbly, not crispy or not soft. They're like two crumbly cookies, probably vanilla, and they uh-huh. sandwich a marshmallow center, oh, and then okay. it's covered in chocolate. Or okay. my fer- preferred version is covered in like a banana Ooh. flavored. It's yellow. I guess it's banana. like a white chocolate, I guess, I'm assuming, but it's banana flavored, and it's the best. Huh. Mm-hmm. Like a banana cream pie kind of flavor? Exactly. I love banana cream pie. But it has marshmallow, and I know how you feel about marshmallows. So we'll I, see if yeah. it fa- well, where it falls on your marshmallow tolerance level. Here's the thing. I like um, like marshmallowy goo type stuff. Like I don't fluff? like marshmallows. Okay. Do you like marshmallow fluff? I, I assume that's basically what the more gooey marshmallow stuff is. Yeah, yeah. If you bought yeah. a, like a little jar of marshmallow fluff, it's the consistency and flavor of like the marshmallow stuff that's in cakes and stuff <laughs> like once you kind of start to uh, roast a marshmallow and it gets a little gooey yeah like yeah. a spread okay mm. great <laughs> can't I, wait we are really we're really killing it <laughs> <laughs> but i just love moon pies they're so good so listen i have a very similar taste to this gentleman in the episode somebody doordash us some moon pies oh god if i got a uh, unsolicited package of moon pies chocolate or banana would you be over the moon Oh, yeah, you better believe I would be. I would be pie-eyed. Oh, my God. Wow. Okay, so they've found out that this person with the birthmark buys moon pies and goes and hangs out in the schoolyard. So they head over to the schoolyard, and this is one of the scenes that I'm convinced that you were waiting for me to describe. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) Okay, so this schoolyard has these, like, three young women who are wearing... Really high-waisted denim, denim jackets, far too many necklaces, a leopard print vest under the jean jacket. These outfits are pretty incredible, I'm not going to lie. And we're treated to what I would call an open mic night at one of the worst beat poetries you can imagine. So Grievy walks up and asks how they're doing, and one says, You ain't cool. Get out of my school. I'm no fool. And, but she says this, like, not too grievy. She just sort of says it to the air in front of Grievy and Logan. Don't forget the choreographed routine they're doing as they're saying it, too. Oh, yeah. No, they're, like, fully committed to this act. So Grievy asks the uh, uh, the next girl about the man with the birthmark. Like, what's his name? And she says, the name of the game is Finding Fame. Silky's the name, and he's to blame. And with each rhyme she's doing a little like sidestep dance and like waving her finger around it literally reminds me of when like you have a toddler in your family and they're like watch me do this and then they spin around and they're just fucking wasting your time (laughs) and they fall on the ground (laughs) yes and you're you have to clap instead of laughing at them and they're like wait 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 (laughs) (laughs) let me try again and you're like oh god it is like they're dressed like remember in the 90s there was this uh period of time where a lot of clothing had depictions of like wb or disney cartoon characters wearing like street clothes oh yeah they're dressed in like what bugs bunny and like 100 tasmanian devil wear in those shirts basically <laughs> it's like do you remember that uh tlc music video where they were wearing like condoms, condoms on their eyeglass yes on it's yes billion percent and it's I, exactly that it's exactly that and it also reminds me of the 3lw music video for no more <laughs> oh Baby, I'm going to do right. I bet right before that, they uh, they were chalk outlines on the ground. They were chalk drawings. 
in the style uh-huh. of like Bratz dolls, and then they came to life to start <laughs> telling us about being thick and tired or broken promises. <laughs> So the third woman uh, refuses to play along with this terrible rhyming game as though they are in, like, Alice in Wonderland. And so they just tell Gravy and Logan where where to find this person with... Uh, Silky is what we learn his name is at this point, thanks to the rhyming triplets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> thanks to uh, Jeanette, Eleanor, and Brittany. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Gravy and Logan, they're like... They they say thanks and then they do this like weird mocking dance to the music the girls are playing. It um, was so they, the it was it was literally my dad, <laughs> like oh, it was God. like two dads d- trying it's, to dance to like kind of mock their kids. About oh yeah, the way it's they so danced. patronizing and sarcastic. It was like, very embarrassing. Very embarrassing dad moment. <laughs> yes. So they should be pushed into traffic, is what my notes say. <laughs> so. Then we cut to them interviewing an old woman on the street, um, on like the steps of an apartment, and and they ask her about Silky, who apparently lives in the building. And she is another kind of like moment voice of reason where she's like, why are you here? Like the only time cops ever show up in this neighborhood is when a white person gets hurt. Sick burn. Mm. <laughs> and But she like points them up to the apartment that Silky is supposedly in, and they barge in. And for a minute, I thought they didn't have a warrant. Um, but they just like shove their way in and shove the person who opens the door past them and like literally wave a piece of paper in the air, which I don't know about you, but I'm not sure if I could identify a warrant if somebody handed me the paper calmly and allowed me to look at it, much less if they'd shoved me into a wall and waved a piece of paper in the air as they walked into my house. (laughs) Right. If they were like waving it over their head, like it was a flag. (laughs) Literally it's Yeah. So they are going through the apartment, being a dick to the guy who answered the door, and eventually they find Silky hiding in a cupboard in the kitchen. And this is the weirdest cupboard I've ever seen. It's like a, it's metal, like the doors to it are metal. It looks like a, like a meat refrigerator or Uh something, but it's full of cleaning supplies. It's like an office closet, like a, like a freestanding type of closet you'd put in an office that doesn't have a closet built in, it looks like. But it was in the wall, wasn't it? Oh, oh, you're right. You're yeah, right. It, wasn't I, it was wall. so was it? strange. It was. It very almost strange. looked like a uh, like a trash chute, but like a wardrobe. Oh, it was, it was weird. I couldn't figure like out. A dumb I'd never seen anything converted. like it. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. So he's hiding in there, and he's you know with the cleaning supplies. So there's some kind of jokes about like, oh, are you you know mopping the floors yeah. or whatever, and. They immediately, literally, immediately start like shoving him and manhandling him and asking about him about last night as though he's the one who shot the kid. Like it, it was at this point in the episode, I was like, why are they literally being a dick to Silky when he is not the person who shot this kid? But that's beside the point, and we'll kind of learn more about that yeah, later. Yeah, I was going to say, we'll dive in. <laughs> yeah. So they get him in a lineup. Again, my notes say, like, in all capitals, why, with three question marks, because I'm still not sure what what line of logic they're following in how they're treating this person, because these three young men were doing nothing, essentially, and then the cops chased them, shot one of them, and the other two left and got away. And they're hassling them. So it's very weird it, to me. It's it's very weird to many of us. Yeah. The cop who killed the young boy is like 
well, I'm not sure, you know, I don't, maybe that's him. I don't know. Cause they found two like black men with uh, birthmarks on their faces. So they're like, I don't know, could be this one, could be that one. And then they bring in the partner of the guy who killed the kid. And incidentally, that cop is hot. Oh, he is, right? He is so, like he has, I think some of the sharpest cheekbones I've ever seen in my life. He's really I, for the rest of this episode, I will be referring to him as hot cop. Oh, <laughs> I like it. Thanks. So the shooter cop is looking at the lineup and he also points out Silky, but he's like not sure. And so Greavy and Logan have a little vending machine side chat and Greavy is talking about how this whole thing stinks. He does. It doesn't make sense. You know, the this story of, he, you know, he drew his gun on me and I shot him isn't really like holding up. And Logan says, but they're cops cops uh because apparently that exonerates everyone from any wrongdoing and uh gravy says at this point that most cops forget about killing they go they go for 30 years without firing a gun and so when i heard that i had to pause and do a little research uh because studies i found show that more than 30 percent of police have fired their weapon and killings by police continue to increase every year and more than 1,100 people a year are killed by police. And the odds of a policeman firing their weapon increase if they are white, if they are a man, if they have a military background, and the more, like, military-grade equipment the police department has, uh, the more likely there will be violence and killings. So just had to—the minute I heard that, I was like, nah, I gotta check if that's accurate. Turns out, no. I think general public at that time had this idea that hey listen if you are shot by a cop i'm sure there was a good reason if you were arrested by police i'm sure there was a good reason reason. or i'm sure you you know you misrepresented it and they're gonna Mm -hmm. figure it out and it's justice will be served you know that's like the general thought process you know the cops are the good guys you know they're trying to protect you So, Grievy says that this cop has fired his gun twice in the past and says, it makes you think. And then Logan, because he oddly is the weirdly kind of conservative one about stuff like this, says, well, it also makes you think about how many cops died thinking that's not a gun in his hand. So, again, I had to do a little research on this. (laughs) And on average, about 40 police officers die on duty every year as a result of violence. And there are... There are studies that I talk about a lot when I'm like teaching classes on on these various sorts of subjects, but there are many, many studies that show that police officers, regardless of the race of the officer, they are much more likely to open fire on a target if he is black regardless of whether he has a an object in his hand or not like there was this study where they photoshopped like black men and uh, and white men to either be holding a gun or a wallet and there were many 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 more false fires on the black man holding a wallet and many instances where the police like did not fire on the armed white target so there's a lot of data that shows that there is tremendous disparity in how police discharge their weapons and when and against whom. And maybe that sort of data should be um, put into some sort of uh, training or um, (laughs) program within the police department to sort of like suss out these kind of things psychologically before we let someone... I don't know. Yeah. Have a gun. Have a gun. Patrol the streets. Uh, I don't know. Just a thought. Right. What do I know? 
So then we get to the office of the chief medical examiner, and he says the victim had no record, which kind of like shocks Grievy and Logan. But the kid apparently had $3,000 in his sock. Did this strike you as wildly odd? Like, how how large would the bills have to be that you would be able to put $3,000 in your sock? Well, I mean, they didn't mention that when they said sock, he was actually wearing two, like, Christmas stockings on his feet. So he actually wasn't really wearing socks in the way mm-hmm. you were thinking. He's wearing these very big, oversized, they're sort of red, and they got this white cuff at the top. One of them had his name on it, and the other one said, Mom. So I think he, yeah, I think they were Christmas stockings. So I would I would venture to say I've never shoved $3,000 anywhere, um, let alone a Christmas stocking. But I would bet, yeah. I would bet it would fit in, in two Christmas stockings, wouldn't you? I would. So if he were dressed as Santa Claus, that would make more sense. <laughs> but the largest bill that we make is, like, currently, is the $100 bill. So even still, that would be 30 $100 bills, which seems like a lot of bills to try to put in your sock. But who knows? Hey, listen. Put it in your sock. <laughs> put it in a pocket. Socking. <laughs> to the moon. Sing a, sing a... What's that? Keep If you keep a wish in your pocket, Wait. stick it in your pocket. Catch a falling no? star and put it in your pocket. Save it for a rainy day. Maybe that's not I was a sock. To, do you? Um, <laughs> that's in the you, Princess uh, Diaries. <laughs> did you ever watch um, Pretty Little Liars? No, believe it or not. <gasps> okay, I'm disappointed in you. I know, right? Why didn't I watch it? I actually made fun of people for watching it. It was probably okay. during the period of my life where I was like desperately clinging on to any. You were like, no, I like NFL and, yeah. and hockey. <laughs> like, I uh, liked too many things that just, like, were a dead giveaway that I had to draw the line somewhere. <laughs> and, and that line was Pretty Little Liars. That line was ABC Family. <laughs> you, okay, so Pretty Little Liars is a absolutely terrible show. Like, it, it really, it, it, it kind of like a Ryan Murphy project where it's like, oh, this is okay. And then it just goes off the fucking rails. Right. It, it, it's, it lasted for, like, five seasons too many because really only the first season was any good. But anyway, I bring that all up because like I was just trying to do on an episode of Hey Riddle Riddle, that podcast I recommended to you, one of them sings like uh, like ad-libs the music intro to Pretty Little Liars. And it's very much like what I was just trying to do where it's like, gotta lock it oh, in my pocket. I love that so- I know the song. <laughs> oh, you know the song? Okay. Yeah, it's you by the Pierces. To- I love them. Yes, yes, yes. So uh, there's an episode of Hey Riddle Riddle where uh, she tries to remember the lyrics and kind of just keeps rhyming words that sound like each other for the intro. And then it ends with, and there's five white women and they're all wearing makeup. Like it's so, it's amazing. You've got to go check that up. I, ha- I have listened to the first two episodes of Hey Riddle Riddle so far and I'm I'm in love already. So I'm definitely subscribed and gonna keep on plowing through yeah okay so the medical examiner says there's only one set of prints on the gun which greedy greedy immediately interprets to mean that somebody has wiped it clean because he thinks there you know there should have at least been more than one set of prints on the gun i'm assuming like from the person who sold it or whatever i don't know and then they they're they say something that wasn't quite clear to me as to whether the serial number had been removed or if it was intact. It sounded to me like it was removed. I think it had been removed. Okay. So then they're like, okay, we have to go to ballistics. And so uh, Jennifer Beals from Flashdance is the <laughs> ballistic expert. <laughs> she really is. Yeah. 
I was just waiting for her to pull a pulley and have a big bucket of water drop on her because she looked exactly like Jennifer Beals in Flashdance. I mean, she's got a huge uh, tank of water in that room, so she absolutely could have. <laughs> she absolutely could have. So uh, she says that the gun is in excellent condition and has been maintained by somebody who knows how to take care of guns, which so again, at this point, I was kind of thinking, okay, they're implying that the that it's a a police officer owned gun, maybe because it's something that's been like well maintained. So they head to a gun shop with the gun. And the shop owner says magnums. It's like an opinion. Everyone's got one. And I really hope that's not true. (laughs) Honestly, I've had them. I've I've had magnum ice cream. Mm-hmm. I've had that. So, <laughs> so Grievy says, it's been cleaned up. Like, who would have cleaned up this gun and taken care of it? And then he shows the gun shop owner a picture of Silky, and the owner goes, oh yeah, this Magnum is his, and implies that he bought it about a month ago. So they go back and knock on Silky's door, and Logan literally, he opens the door, and Logan immediately shoves him into the wall. And says, the kid who got shot had your gun in his hand. Because <laughs> he's mean, doing his best Batman impersonation. Yes. <laughs> Christian Bale is Batman. And Silky says that he did sell the gun to the kid, but doesn't know his name. Sorry, my autocorrect turned that into something weird, and I was trying to make sense of what it said. Uh, so then Logan shoves him face first into the wall and says he's being arrested for selling a firearm. So they kind of like haul him down to the, the jail cells in the police station, I guess. Yeah. Then they go and interview a woman named Doris, who is Silky's sister, I think? No, she's she's just a friend. Okay. I thought she was a sister. Okay. No, he called her, like, a sister, you know? But it's not his sister. Got it. Okay. So uh, they're interviewing her, and she asks, like, what do you care about, like, young black man being killed? Like, oh, you probably care so much you belong to the NAACP. Mm -hmm. I liked her. I did too. I like Doris a lot. So they show her a photo of the guy who was killed, and she identifies him as Tommy Richardson and gives them his address. So they go there and meet his brother and ask where his brother is. And then they decide to take him to the police station. And they didn't, like, I think they were like, you know, you should come with us because we need to share some bad news with you that your brother has been killed. But it it was kind of weird. Like, it seemed almost like they were accusing him of something when they were taking him out. Yeah. So down at the police station, the pastor of the community arrives uh, and recognizes, you know, Abel, the young brother, and says, Tommy, it can't be Tommy. Tommy wouldn't have a gun that he was an honor student at Princeton. So this is where the ivy from the poison ivy of the uh, episode title comes from. Mm. Oh, by the but way, he does... by the way, yes. I looked it up. Okay. The girl who plays Doris is very famous. She is oh. um, Erica Alexander. Okay. She was on the Cosby show for two years as oh. Pam. She okay. was on Living Single for five years as Maxine. Wow. And she has won um, two NAACP award, Image Awards for um, her role on Living Single. Nice. And she's been in uh, 30 Years to Life, Deja Vu, and Get Out, which was so good. Oh, oh I still gosh. haven't seen Get Out. I really need to oh, watch that. You have to. So anyway, I knew she looked sort of familiar, but I couldn't place her. And mm. that, okay. Now you girl. know. The more you know. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, ba 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 da 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 Okay, so then there's like protests and news cameras outside uh, because, you know, you've got 
the police having killed somebody in the black community who is this honor student and like well-known and well-respected. And then like the cops on the other side are also protesting. And Grievy says to Logan, whatever happened that night, we just got shoved out of a plane at 30,000 feet with no parachute. So I'm, I guess he's saying like, this is a, a no win situation or this is a yucky situation, I guess. Yeah. Plummeting to your death, uh, I guess. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> I guess. So then they're uh, talking to Captain Cragen, and Grievy is tr- essentially trying to convince him to at least be open to the idea that maybe this cop did do something wrong and is trying to cover something up. And and Cragen is lo- is says to him, "If you're wrong and you go after a cop," to which Grievy says, "If I'm wrong, I'll tell the grand jury I I killed the kid." And I'm not really sure what that would accomplish, but you do you, Grievy, I guess. All right. I mean, listen, <laughs> it's not going to solve anything. It's not. <laughs> nobody's gonna get justice maybe that's that. why he's only on one season of the show maybe maybe they they maybe bring this go, back for the series to fin- the season yeah. finale <laughs> so then they go to freddy's home nope not freddy fredo, fredo. fredo's home thank you autocorrect fredo's home and grievy asks if he heard the news about tommy and he says about princeton just goes to show you homeboys you can dress them up how you like but they can still gun down a cop like any street scum so Fredo is very clearly meant to be an awful person because uh, he is pretty, pretty terrible throughout the whole episode. Yeah, pretty disgusting. Yeah. So they're questioning him about that night and he says he didn't identify Silky in the lineup, but Silky is essentially saying that, you know, he might might have been there. So Grievy is like, OK, well, you're saying this thing, but this person says this other thing. Like, what what is true? And he says, what is the he, a he ratchets it up to level 25 <laughs> screaming? What is this? And uh, I've been a cop for 23 years. Who are you going to trust me or some eggplant? And I will explain that comment later on because okay. I was like, huh? I yeah, I needed I needed clarity on that as well. Yes. So Grievy sarcastically says, after he's like screaming at him, Grievy says, well, you sure sound trustworthy to me. And so Fredo like stands up like he's going to fight Grievy and Logan has to hold him back. And Fredo just says, talk to my POBA rep, which stands for Police Officers Benevolent Association. Mm -hmm. And I tried Googling that. I couldn't really find like I found one for New Jersey, but I didn't really find anything other than that so i'm not sure if it still exists or not i'm pretty sure it does um the only thing i know about the poba or the pba as i think it's more um commonly referred to Mm -hmm. is that um i've had a lot of friends who have family members or friends who have uh who are police officers Uh and you can get like a a pba card okay is it it's like a union type thing basically it's kind of like the idea is like if you get pulled over, you show your PBA card and it shows that you are like a supporter of the police or you have someone in your oh. life that's a police officer and you can kind of hope that they'll give you a break. That's about Ugh. the long and short of what I know about that. But I, I do know it's a thing that I was hearing about even when I, I was like living that. there all the time. <laughs> and I was once offered a PBA card by one of my customers who was a cop when I worked for Starbucks. And uh-huh. I was so afraid. I took it, but I was always so afraid to use it because in my mind, like my luck, I'd get pulled over for like speeding or a taillight or whatever. I show the PPA card and you always hear stories also of like certain cops being like, give me that. Like you shouldn't. Have oh, really? That, you know, like, huh. so you never I, I always was like, oh, I'm never going to show this to anybody. 
That's so funny. I literally had never heard of this before this episode. Yeah, I don't know. If there's anyone out there who has more information on this, feel free to correct me or, yeah. or interject. But that's that's my understanding of it. So the the POBA reps are, or PBA, <laughs> I'll say PBA. <laughs> the PBA reps are giving Cragen and Grevia a hard time, basically, you know, saying that this is cut and dry, couldn't be clearer, Kid drew a gun on the cop, cop shot him, blah, blah, blah. Why are you pushing this? Yeah. And Cragen says to Grevy that if they don't fix this fast, that PBA will crucify them. And if they do fix it fast, the black community will crucify them. So Grevy says, well, then let's do it right. I mean, why not? Uh-huh. <laughs> Maybe Wouldn't instead of good fast, <laughs> we should actually aim for right in right. our justice system. I mean, let's right. let's aim for both so that people aren't dealing with things for years, but still. For sure. So then we cut to a police officer's gym, and <laughs> Logan goes to talk to Hot Cop, and suddenly, like, all the cops in the gym are kind of, like, menacingly advancing on him, like it's the knife fight scene from Michael Jackson's Bad Music video. Ooh, that is so interesting that you said that. Bookmark that thought. The bad music video? Yes. Okay, okay. So Hot Cop says he doesn't care if the kid went to Princeton and then, quote, says, those three skells were doing a drug deal. That's another word. I feel, I honestly sometimes feel like I'm watching a TV show from a world that I literally don't have any connection with when I watch this show (laughs) because I have to Google so many things to be like, what are they fucking talking about? I know. Scales, I didn't look up, but I have heard, I've heard that on a lot of cop things before, but I have no idea what it means. It's a New York slang term or like a a, a Northeast United States specific regional slang term for a homeless person. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. I heard heard of it. I always thought it meant like suspect or something Mm, because I've only heard it on crime dramas. So Logan says to the um, herd of cops that, you know, we're all on the same side. And Hot Cop says, could have fooled me. And then there's like, again, a little moment of scuffle, but it kind of wraps up and and Logan leaves. And then Grievy and Logan have like a little debate about what happened that night. And Grievy says, all right, let's assume everyone's telling the truth. What does a Magnum go for on the street? Logan says, 500. And Grievy says, what about half a pound of crack? Logan says, 2,500. Baby says, Math. The, I know, the Richardson kid had 3000 in his sock to buy a gun and drugs. And so from this math detective work, it leads them to understand that the deal never went down because, uh, so the deal never went down because he still had the cash, which means he never had the gun. And so Fredo must have shot him and put the gun in his hand and then gave Silky a walk. Like, basically said, like, get out of here and and I won't, you know, bust you for whatever drug dealing stuff you're involved in at this moment. And so that's why no one is talking. And when they gave Silky that walk, he walked away saying, if I had to lip sync for my motherfucking life, (laughs) I was was ready ready to do so. (laughs) So that's their theory. I, yeah, okay. I just think it's weird that they perfectly guessed the amount that each of these things go for and that it perfectly added up to the sock amount. It just doesn't seem likely to me. I think the the exact numbers are a little strange, but I, I yes. can understand, like, listen, Grievy's been doing this for a very long time, so he kind of knows the, the going price for things on the street. 
it could have been more convincing. You know, if he if he had said like, how much do you think a pound, half a pound of crack goes for? Three thousand. Like Logan could have said, oh, not that much. And then Grevy said, what about a Magnum and a half a pound of coke? And then Logan would be like, yeah, three thousand sounds about right for that. Like that would have made more sense than this. Oh well, according to Supermarket Saver this week, the uh, Magnum on the street goes for exactly five hundred. Like it was just too perfect. Yeah, the Kelly, the Kelly Blue Book value for as much crack. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So they're realizing, okay, we still have to find the third guy that was involved this night. We have to find him so that we can piece together what's happening here. So they go back to Doris and they hassle her until she gives them the third name, which she doesn't ever actually give them. She just says, he's just a scared little boy. And Creevy goes, Abel, like, like the little brother of Tommy who was killed as though he's the only young boy who would be involved. Like it was just, it again, was very strange to, to myself as well. I was like, that's a jump. Yeah, it was a very big jump. So they go back to Abel, Tommy's brother, and Abel says Tommy never had a gun. He says Tommy was going to buy the gun and the crack, but it never happened. Silky still had the gun. So they go back to the jail cell with Silky in it, and he says there was never any dope, which I have never heard dope used to refer to crack. Maybe, like, I just only ever heard it as a way to refer to, like, marijuana. Yeah, I mean, I'm the worst person to ask this to because <laughs> one time I, this is so funny, God, like probably 10, 12 years ago, I was driving through my hometown and I went to the gas station and I was like approached by this young man who was like, hey, can you give me a ride? Like, I just, I'm on my way to like a, a school dance. He was like a teenager. He was like, I was on my way to the school dance and like my friend and I got into a fight and they like kicked me out of the car or whatever. And mm-hmm. um, he was like, I'm just going to the boys and girls club. And I was like, okay, sure, whatever. So I'm in the car and I drop him off and he's like, hey, I feel bad. I don't have any money. He's like, do you want some chronic? Oh, uh-huh. And I go, no, no, I'm okay. Thanks. You don't need to give me anything. It's just you're you're so close. Whatever. He's like, oh, all right. Thanks, man. Whatever. He gets out of the car and immediately I had to Google chronic. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so i you're really like, no, no, i'm good i'm allergic i'm allergic yeah chronic um i don't do you have any like severe instead yeah <laughs> or moderate <laughs> some some pm maybe <laughs> so they're in the jail cell with silky and he says there was never any dope and logan says oh yeah what did he do meet you to buy groceries and so they have kind of a back and forth and silky says a little too quickly that tommy drew the gun and the cop shot him and Grievy says, you're playing this all wrong, Silky, because he's uh, Grievy really wants to be that film noir detective. He does. So then they leave the cell. And I guess that the cop or the security guard who's kind of like guarding the cell says, oh, wow, this guy's like really popular today, huh? What did he do to get this much attention? Did he shoot the Pope? And Grievy said, <laughs> Grievy's like, huh? And yeah. basically, we learned that the other cops have been visiting Silky. And so we're kind of meant to understand that they've been intimidating him into sticking to that specific story that he just told Gravy of, you know, Tommy drew the gun and the cop shot him. They then go to talk to an internal affairs officer and try to convince him to arrest Fredo on, you know, the the evidence that they've gotten so far. So we cut to a bar scene called 38, which I'm assuming is a, is a cop bar because uh, you know, the internal affairs officer walks in and at first there's this whole crowd of people saying peas and carrots, peas and carrots, peas and carrots, peas and carrots. <laughs> and then as slowly as he makes his way through the crowd, everybody kind of like goes silent and he walks up to Fredo and arrests him. And so I'm assuming this is a bar for police officers or one that they frequent. So that's kind of the most of the end of the law side or no, sorry, the end of the 
whatever. We yeah. go to I'm the, always confused, the, like, why the law side is the police, but, like, you know what I mean? Order. Like, lawyer. Yeah, but I, I get know. it. So we're on the lawyer side, the district attorney side. And they're talking about how they need to make sure that Abel, the only person who is telling the truth in all this, is trustworthy and has a clean record so that, that he can't get basically destroyed on uh, cross-examination. So ADA Robinette goes to talk to the pastor who had come to the police station earlier and says, and the pastor says that Tommy was an upstanding member of the community. He even brought money back to the community to the tune of $48,000, which apparently was money he got from his roommate at Princeton. So then Robinette goes to talk to Tommy's roommate at Princeton, who says that he liked Tommy up until recently when he brought home some people and Robinette goes, street people? And the roommate goes, yeah, Wall Street. <laughs> they were proud of themselves for that line. And as I was saying it, I was just like, this is fucking ridiculous. I know. I couldn't wait. So Wall Street. So he says that the guys wanted to score some coke. And, you know, they were using Tommy as their dealer or their hookup for to get drugs. So Robinette goes to find uh, Tommy's clients, the people he was selling drugs to. And... Robinette is kind of worried about how this will impact the black community, like destroying his reputation, having them like under know that he got into Princeton, but he's selling drugs to help his community or whatever. So he tries to pressure Stone into giving Fredo a deal to protect Tommy's name. And suddenly Tommy's mom and brother are there. And she says that she read in the paper that the cop who shot Tommy could go free. And she talks about how her husband was killed when Tommy was 10. And I don't know if we're supposed to mean understand that to believe to be also killed by a police officer or just killed when he was younger. And so she, but she's saying how Tommy has been working jobs ever since then to like help the family out. And he's so responsible and loving and giving. Yeah, they they mentioned a little earlier in the episode with the pastor. The pastor tells, I think, was it Logan or... I forget who he's talking to. Robinette? Oh, Robinette, yeah. The pastor ends up telling Robinette that their father had been murdered on the job. He was a uh, subway ticket oh. collector. Okay. And someone wanted to, like, just not get away without paying, so they, sh they killed him in over, like, 20 bucks. Okay, thanks for remembering that. Yeah, because I remember that part, because the, the part I liked about that was that it was when Robinette and the pastor were just talking, like, right before that. Yeah. And yeah. they mentioned that the boys, the, the pastor mentions to Robinette in the conversation, like, the boys don't have a father, I've been, like, an important person in their life, we've all rallied behind them, blah, blah, blah. And Robinette says something like, oh, did the father, like, disappear out of their lives? And the pastor's like, wow, even you, you think that, like, every black right. father leaves their kid. No, and then he tells the story, you know? And it yes. like kind of catches Robin off guard because he realizes like, oh, damn, I can't believe I just really jumped to that conclusion. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, so then Abel pulls uh, EADA Stone into the hallway and, and tells him that Tommy had been selling drugs every couple of weeks and that Doris was his uh, hookup for the drugs. And Robinette goes to kind of get more information out of Doris. And she says that dealing got her off the streets. And so she didn't have to do sex work anymore thanks to, uh, you know, being able to to sell drugs to these folks at Princeton. And so then we get back to uh, the courthouse or city hall or whatever. And again, there's protests, there's 
uh, folks on one side shouting about how they want justice and they've got signs about, you know, they've got signs protesting racism. And then on the other side, we've got people shouting New York's finest, who I think we're meant to understand as office, or, uh, protesters who are on the side of the police. And so they go and talk to the DA who is urging them to strike a deal with Fredo because he just doesn't want to deal with this and and it's too much. So strike a deal with Fredo. Mm-hmm. So they go to talk to him, but he is not interested in a deal. <laughs> and he refers to Tommy, the, the shooting victim, by uh, a word that is uh, derived from the Italian word from eggplant, which is apparently like an Italian slur equivalent of the N-word. So when he called him an an eggplant earlier in the episode, he was like referencing this racist terminology from the Italian language. Oh my God. Yeah. So he says, I want my day in court. I'm not pleading, blah, blah, blah. So then we cut to the court scenes and Abel is on the stand and he says, Silky had the gun and his brother never at any point had the gun. And under cross-examination, the attorney for the defense gets able to say that his brother was intending to buy the gun and is like, well, you don't know what happened after that, do you? Because you went, you ran in a separate direction. And so Stone is thinking that Fredo is going to walk. They're not going to win this case. So the DA basically says, well, then why don't you get Silky to roll on the uh, hot cop partner <laughs> who is lying to protect his partner? So they do this sting with Doris where they put a wire on her and they, you know, uh, do a sting operation where they get him to buy drugs from Doris and they get him in an interrogation room and and he finally tells them the story of what happened. Uh, he says Fredo yelled freeze. They froze. And Tommy started to say something and then Fredo just shot him. Then he took the gun from Silky, wipes off the prints and puts it in Tommy's hand and tells Silky, take the crack and leave and if you tell anybody i'll kill you and then he said the same thing to him when he visited him in his cell so silky has now rolled over on fredo and hot cop davis Mm -hmm. and so they also get hot cop to roll over on fredo and they put him on the stand and he says that fredo told him to lie and said there was no reason to worry because he had let silky take the crack so he wasn't a threat like he had let him get away all i kept thinking also on this is like Imagine like being a new cop and like you have this, you know, you have all the best intentions and you have these dreams of like, okay, I'm going to be different. I'm going to make the streets right again. I'm going to be part of this brotherhood of, and I'm going to see what it's really like. And then you get a partner who is just (laughs) like like an absolute beast. And then like, even if like in your heart, like let's say even this guy in his heart knew it was wrong and wanted to say something, just knowing that like, oh, if I say something, um, this bar room of people and that gym of people, they're going to yeah. make my life a living hell or maybe even like, yeah. you know, I might Hurt face or a, whatever. Yeah. yeah. So like, there's for sure really a lot of pressure his, to go along like, with it. Ass on the line when he goes and says yeah. this, because yes, his, his partner could be potentially like locked up or something, but um, yeah. everyone else who we've already seen is like, so emblazoned to like support, you know, their, their like brotherhood. Yeah. I mean, yeah. what are they going to do to him? 
Exactly. At this point, they are back in the DA's office and with Stone, and Stone says that he doesn't understand cops. Like, why did he try to cover this up? If he had told the truth that it was a mistake, nobody, no jury would have convicted him for that. And just then the phone rings, and the DA answers it, and then afterwards says that we don't have to worry about a, a verdict anymore because Fredo just ate his gun. Which, wasn't he in, like, why wasn't he in custody at he's this point, he's on, tr- I, but he's on trial for murder. I'm telling <laughs> I don't you, understand. I'm sure because he was a cop that until sentencing <sighs> happened, they were like, "You are, you know, released on your own recognizance or whatever they call it, yeah. demand or I don't know, <sighs> remand." But recognizance is the right word. Oh, okay, yeah, remanded so, on. Yeah, there we go. But you know what I mean? Like, I feel like they were like, "Okay, sentencing is coming up. You're a cop, you know." Yeah. So then we cut to Tommy's service where the pastor is talking about how great Tommy was for the community. And he says, this is a quote, what Tommy Richardson wanted to do for this community was right, but he did it the wrong way. What the cop did by shooting him was also wrong, but it would not have happened without drugs. And so I, the minute I heard that line, I was like, okay, yeah, I have to remind myself this was written in the late 80s, early 90s, where it was like the crack epidemic and the war on drugs mm-hmm. and all of that kind of stuff. But that line you can tell was written by a white person because it absolutely should have said this could not have happened without racism and state-sanctioned violence so 100 percent and very different it's strange (laughs) because like throughout the whole episode there's undercurrents that like not even undercurrents there's like they they're making it very obvious that that's what this episode is about yes so then greavy and stone have a little late night confab where stone (laughs) says no more cops it's too hard and greavy says you know why I wouldn't let it go? Because there, but for the grace of God, go I. You get caught, you get prosecuted. And then he calls himself just an old altar boy with a gun. And my note just literally just says, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, not oh, how it works, man. unfortunately. They've gotten some good like ending lines. The last two have been duds. I, I was like, yes. there, but for the grace of God, go I. I was like, no. give me a break. Yeah. And that's the end of episode eight, uh, Poison Ivy. Great job. I hated it. It was a really heavy episode. But I, I have to yes. say, in my opinion, it was so far the best representation that uh, Law & Order is trying to to talk about yeah. important things. I don't think they know how to. Oh, yeah. They're trying to talk about important things for sure. And what I think, like... There, I think I talked about this in a previous episode, how there are people who are really critical of a lot of like police and law shows mm-hmm. because because of narratives like this where you see the police officer being held accountable and all of that, which doesn't happen in real life right. nearly as often as it should. And so, but it, it contributes to this like cultural narrative of justice really does work fairly. And if you just trust the system, justice will work, which many people know know to be not true or not accurate and so i think even i think like what you're saying their intentions might be to have these good conversations about race and police violence and all that sort of stuff but they're just you know they're not really equipped to handle it because they're dramatic storytelling writers Mm. not you know people who are i would say of the nuance of these things (laughs) i would say law and order writers they uh they they're doing what they're trying to do is good, but they're doing it the wrong way. And none of this oh, would have God. happened without drugs. <laughs> <laughs> 
you're absolutely right. <laughs> That's what he was really talking about, the writer's room. <laughs> yeah. Uh, great job, though. Thank you. Should I go pour myself a beverage in preparation for this crime? Um, I will say that when I was um, reading a few of the articles, I cried. <laughs> so oh, fuck. that's okay. just my, that's just how I reacted to it. Uh, okay. I uh, have myself a nice, refreshing Dr. Pepper. <laughs> great. <laughs> I am ready. This, do you- <laughs> I was literally about to say, great job. <laughs> I told the story. So. Yeah, you did great. Great Thanks. job, you. Thank you. you can congratulate yourself. I think it's it's healthy. <laughs> I mean, maybe not on the air. But... Maybe not on the air, but you know what? Everybody out there, if you get the opportunity to congratulate yourself on the air, I say do it. Yeah, don't wait not? for someone else to do it. Listen, <laughs> just uh, if you want to congratulate yourself, send us an email with a little audio recording congratulating yourself. We'll put it on the next episode. Yeah, it'll be a hit. So this this episode was inspired by the shooting of Edmund Perry. Okay. And uh, the sources I used for this were Wikipedia, of course, um, and then a bunch of articles. I, there was an article on Phillips Exeter Academy website mm-hmm. by Patrick Garrity from uh, this year. There was another article on Medium.com from Catherine Stout from this year. And then there was another one on Entropy by uh, someone named Alice Stevens from this year as well. And she is someone who knew edmund uh personally at the at the time oh okay and i i'm going to reference her article a couple times because it's really just beautifully beautifully written um yeah it was great i highly recommend it and i will again (laughs) (laughs) um i also had a few articles from the time of the crime which was obviously in the 80s and so uh there was a new york times article in june of 1985 which was very very soon after the crime and a washington Mm -hmm. post article by um, Juan Williams, which was also really, really, really helpful um, from mm-hmm. August of 1985. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a movie, a TV movie that's been inspired by this crime called oh. uh, Murder Without a Motive. Okay. It's the Edmund Perry story. You know, one of those, the colon uh-huh. in the middle. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Classic. <Colon>. Yeah. <laughs> like Lifetime. Presented by the Hallmark Channel. <laughs> yeah, it was always like, probably, Lifetime. this probably is not on the Hallmark Channel. <laughs> no, uh, no, I think it was like ABC. But it was like, you know, those Lifetime movies, they were always like, Lifetime presents Shattered Dreams, a moment of truth movie. This yes. Jessica's Sawyer story. Oh my God. <laughs> yes, 100%. It's yes, like one of I those. Love, um, I love the terrible Lifetime movie titles. <laughs> right. So, Murder Without a Motive, and it was starring um, Curtis McLaren, uh, Cuba Gooding Jr., and Anna Maria Harsford. Who's been when was this made? Things. 1992. So, that was before Show Me the Money. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I'm so bad with movies. You know, Jerry Maguire, so. you mean? <laughs> yes, <laughs> By that's the way. right. <laughs> I mean, honestly, what was the most memorable part of that movie? Show Me the Money, and you I'm have me a girl. Home. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Is that where the I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy line comes from? I'm going to be really honest with you. I've never seen Jerry Maguire. Boop. (laughs) (laughs) Was that you bleeping out your own admission? That was me bleeping out you screaming at me. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) I I don't know why I haven't. I just remember. I've seen every clip of every, like, quote from the movie. I will watch it one day. Put it on the list. I don't think you need to at this point, honestly. come on. I just like old classic movies that have, like feel good feelings built into them you know and i'm sure also, that's gonna have some sort of like positive ending that's gonna make me you know feel gushy also that i'm just a girl standing in front of a boy line is from notting hill oh, i've never not seen jerry mcguire 
That one, I, I don't think I need to see either. Mainly because it's called Notting Hill, and I just don't have an interest in... That doesn't... Gra- Notting Hill? I mean, maybe it's like Downton Abbey. Do you like Downton Abbey? I love Downton Abbey. Okay. I'm literally only saying that because it's British. Exactly. I was so going to say, probably like, has what? nothing to I do with Downton Abbey. I would highly be surprised if a, uh, a rom-com from the 90s with Julia Roberts and I think Hugh Grant has anything to do <laughs> with a period piece... Wait, was it Hugh Grant? I no, so. it's uh, I have no. Oh, idea. it is. It's Hugh Grant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Come on. Okay, I know my. At least I know the cover. You, I know my Notting Hill. I've never seen it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know my my VHS covers that I browsed <laughs> through at Blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Uh, so okay, so onto the onto the story, the crime, the real story. So in the summer of 1985. There were two major things happening. One, my mom was just a few months away from letting me loose into the world. <laughs> from the gates of hell opening. <laughs> <laughs> we all know how that's turned out, so I apologize. <laughs> and oh, uh, it's just about an hour ago, uh, an hour away from where all this happened. Because oh, really? yeah, I was in New Jersey, and this is all happening in New York. So <laughs> just across the bridge in the summer of 1985, the, the what's more relevant to us other than my my upcoming birth Mm -hmm. was uh 17 year old edmund perry was returning home to harlem for a uh wall street internship he was going to be having over the summer so i guess that's where the wall street reference came from he was going to be interning at a brokerage firm and he was coming home from a new hampshire prep school Mm -hmm. he had just graduated from this place it's called phillips exeter eck academy wow phillips phillips exeter academy which is the um where one of those articles was from. Mm-hmm. And he graduated with honors. He was headed for Stanford in the fall. And this was like a really big accomplishment that was not lost upon his community, like at yeah. all. You know, his family had grown up in Harlem and that's where they still lived. And it wasn't known to be the safest community, especially in the 80s. I mean, this particular community doesn't see a lot of its residents ever leave and move on to something else, better or right. worse. Yeah. They kind of stay there. And so... For the Perry children, they had done really, really, really well for themselves. And so they were like local heroes. They were mm. they were people that everyone sort of like kept their eye on and thought like, okay, this is like a beacon of hope almost. Right. So right. yes. Just one year earlier, um, Edmund was actually interviewed in a New York Times article about the struggles of growing up in this sort of neighborhood and like his accomplishments of, his, of mm-hmm. himself and his older brother, which we'll talk about in a moment. So um, in the article, he's interviewed as saying, it's Harlem, it's not the worst place, and it's not the best place. My mother Mm -hmm. had always put ideas into my head that there was something else. And so it's this sort of drive that had, um, like, pushed him well on his way to being in this prestigious university just two years after his brother Jonah had gotten a scholarship to Cornell, which, you know, I believe. good for him. Yeah, so we got 19-year-old Jonah uh, is a in Cornell on a scholarship, doing really well. And he had also gone to a prep school, a different prep school that he graduated from, also with honors. Hmm. And they have a little sister whose name is Nicole, and she's in junior high still. And the matriarch of the family, Veronica Perry, is like very ardently involved in all of their education. Okay. She's the president of their elementary school's PTA. She's a member of the local school board, and she's active in the church and the community. And she's been recently had started attending community college so she, she could model for her children the importance of getting a degree, like regardless of your circumstances. 
Awesome. Good yeah. for her. Yeah, really like hardworking. Um, they don't ever really talk about the father, so I'm not really sure what he does, if he's around, um, or if like the inspiration for the episode is, is true. So we, we really don't really hear about him. We just know his name was Jonah. Okay. So many of the teachers and also their reverend, reverend Preston Washington, had also taken very special interest in the Perrys, and I'm sure at the urging of their mother being involved with the school and Mm -hmm. um it's implied that like that they all were sort of pushing for these kids to do well and to like inspire the rest of the community uh the admissions director at exeter i don't know if i'm saying exeter right by the way but i'm it's spelled e-x-e-t-r yeah i i would say exeter yeah okay so the admissions director at exeter the um, prep school that edmund had graduated from described edmund as articulate thoughtful and ambitious his Spanish teacher there, who he'd studied abroad with in Barcelona during their junior year, said of him, quote, he was a very gregarious type with a lot of drive. He was an individualist with a good sense of humor in the way that he bantered with people. But he so wait, this kid studied abroad in Barcelona in high school? Yes. He was in a Damn. very, very, very nice prep school in New Hampshire. Really oh, nice. That's so fucking cool. Yeah, right? I mean, I wish. Have you ever studied abroad for any schooling? No. Even, yeah, I mean, I would have loved to. Same, but I, I think like I just always assumed like a lot of students do. So if you're a college student or an impending college student, by the way, studying abroad, people often think it's like much, much more expensive than doing your schooling locally. Like if you're enrolled at a four-year institution, and it it tends to be right on par with studying locally like so a lot of people could study abroad and just think that they can't because it seems so expensive and unaffordable and all of that so uh if you're interested in studying abroad absolutely look into it because it's probably more affordable than you think it is yeah and it's probably a way more um enriching experience i bet oh so jealous i I would have never thought i could have studied abroad yeah. So. I, I mean, a lot of like we so I work at a university and our study abroad program is always like trying to get that message to people of like you if you're able to afford being here, you can most likely afford doing a study abroad session. So like don't rule it out just because you think it's too expensive. So check it out if you're if you uh, are still in college. Yeah. Follow your dreams to another country. And then if you get Ugh. the opportunity to stay, it might be best. <laughs> Also, yeah, right now, I don't think anybody is studying abroad because everybody's literally in their house. But uh, when, you know, maybe the world becomes semi-normal again, look into that. Yeah, pour yourself a cup of like French roast or Italian roast and call that studying abroad. Have a have a trip and a cup of coffee. You know, when when quarantine first started, I definitely did like virtual tours of like different travel sites and museums and things like that. Because I was so tired of being in my house, and now I'm, you know, six months later, here we still are. <laughs> but uh, I loved, it was so fun. Like, I did a, a fully walking guided tour of Pompeii. Ooh. And so it was just so fun. Like, because I, I had been to Italy, I think, two years prior, mm-hmm. and maybe three years prior. Um, and it was so fun to like revisit things with these kind of guided walking tours. I would really recommend them if you've never, even if you've never traveled, there's like video GoPro tours of almost every really cool like site in the world. So they're so fun to go and watch and check out. Wow. I never even heard of that. They're all on YouTube. Just Google go if you if there's a site that you're interested in seeing, just like Google that site and a tour on YouTube, and I'm sure you will find one. Hmm, okay. 
more on that maybe next episode i'll uh, i'll let you know where i've traveled <laughs> where have you wanted to go most if you could go anywhere oh it's really hard to pick that because i've, I've literally been almost nowhere so there's yeah. just such a friggin so many choices of places yeah. or atlas i guess i guess i would say like top two places top three places for me in no particular order would be italy um mm-hmm. oh, ireland loved italy. Mm-hmm. and if i had to, just one more third i guess uh, it's so hard japan mm. yeah that's a great choice too not yeah. that i've been there but i have friends who love it there i will say when so two years ago now i guess maybe a year ago uh, we went, the family, my family went to Ireland and we also did a few days in Scotland in Edinburgh mm-hmm. and a tiny little island called Iona. If you had to, like, if, if somebody were to say, I can only go to Ireland or Scotland, which one should I go to? I would absolutely recommend Scotland. Mm. Ireland is amazing, incredible, beautiful there. I'm not saying it's not, but I, I just like Scotland seemed like one of those places where People didn't seem to think of it off the top of their heads, and it's fucking incredible. Yeah, I would have never thought Scotland is a place to go. Like the like the minute I set foot in Edinburgh, I was like, I want to live here. <laughs> I actually like looked up jobs in Edinburgh because I didn't want to leave. Nice. Okay, sorry. Back to your story. No, it's okay. We're we're traveling in here too. So this we're talking about the Spanish teacher who studied abroad in Barcelona. And so he says of Edmund, again, that he was gregarious, he had a lot of drive, he was an individualist, he had a good sense of humor, he um, had good banter. <laughs> <laughs> He's uh, got good chat. <laughs> good chat. Uh, <laughs> now, he, had, he bantered with people, and he said that um, he was a fellow who could rub people the wrong way in that he could be gruff in the way he said things. But when you get to know him, he's a very sensitive and endearing person. I guess that would be something you would say about a lot of people. Yeah. So moving forward to June 12th, Edmund and his 19-year-old brother Jonah had gone to play bas- basketball. And according to Jonah and his family, he then Jonah then went home and Edmund had stayed out. And Jonah was going to go home and hang out with his grandmother. The park where they were playing basketball wasn't super far. And later on, he went back out toward the park and someone told him, hey, listen, your brother's been shot. And he, mm. it wasn't someone he knew. And so Edmund Perry had been shot and killed by a plainclothes police officer named Lee Van Houten at around 9.30 p.m. in the Morningside Park area, which is, I think, technically Manhattan, but it is the border of Manhattan and Harlem. And so the Morningside Park area we'll talk a little bit more about later, but it is a, uh, it has some sort of significance. So... Uh, Officer Van Houten had been part of a unit deployed to investigate a series of break-ins to cars around the St. Luke's Hospital area, which is in Morningside Park. According to Deputy Chief David Scott, Van Houten was on foot and his two backups were a couple of blocks away in a station wagon. And as Van Houten was turning a corner, he said he was jumped by two boys. Scott said, quote, he said he was yoked, that that they grabbed him around the neck. He said they knocked him down and punched him and pummeled him, end quote. Mm-hmm. Um, so then he says that he reached for his ankle holster, he drew his gun, and fired three times. One boy had run away, and one of the three shots had hit Edmund in the chest, who was taken mm-hmm. to the hospital, where he died in the operating room at 1.55 a.m. Yeah, pretty sad. 17. 17 years old. <sighs> 
going to Stanford in just a couple months on home, on break at home for a internship. Yeah. So um, I would say this is probably the first case I've had to research so far for this show where the like news coverage surrounding the victim isn't like super largely prejudicial upon first glance at least but when you look into it and sort of analyze like how this was covered especially versus how we've seen other cases be covered historically and still um Mm -hmm. you could really see some really strong undercurrents of racism and internal bias even in the reporting of it even though it's not quite as overt so i i say this because like oftentimes when the victim of a shooting by police is killed it ends up mm-hmm. like dying as a result of their injuries. The news will make a really big deal about that victim's character, you know, yes. who they were. And it's almost as if they like immediately immediately need to like placate the public and put them at ease. Like, yes, a police officer killed someone, but wait, 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 wait. Don't don't react because look at yeah. who it was and look at the bad things they did. Like that's sort of the attitude generally and totally unfortunately these victims are often indigenous folks people of color queer and trans people and especially mm-hmm. black people mm-hmm. and what's even more troubling and disgusting and disturbing is that sometimes that alone is enough for people to justify this killing at just face value with no other yeah. information because those things that are part of like the fundamental makeup of who many of us are, those things are dangerous and wrong for just way too many people. And so, yeah. therefore, headlines like we usually see, like cops shoot and kill black teenager, are way too familiar to many of us and they break our hearts, but they sting far less to a lot of people than a headline like we saw with this, where it says, Cop kills Harlem honor student. Yeah. And it's like, it bothers me. I mean, obviously it bothers me, but it's because of headlines like this that led to like way more widespread coverage of this case and uh, way more of it being like critical of police. Yeah. But isn't it sad that like the reason this boy's death held like the value to this country that it did and like polarized people and had this conversation going and raised all these questions was because of his like academic achievements and his reputation to the white community. Totally. Yeah, that's it's all like it it all feeds into the idea that if you just work hard enough, you can achieve anything and ignores all of the like systems of oppression in place that keep people from achieving things. <sighs> and so this he is this incredible like beacon of hope to this community, but also the fact that he is like he gets more sympathy is is a problem because that just reinforces the the narrative that the people who don't get into Stanford from these communities just aren't working hard enough exactly. or aren't respectable enough or whatever it is. So it, it all feeds into that same narrative, uh, kind of oppressive yeah. narrative. Yeah. yeah, and it's like it's like it it feeds this message to like the public at the time. And Edmund Perry was shot by a policeman. And he was black, but he was an honor student and a respectful member of his community, as though these things are, like, mutually exclusive and don't go together. And then it's like, with that, even with that, it's still a question of whether it's justified. Even when they add this thing that shouldn't matter, but they believe matters, even when they do that, it's still a question. So, like, it's just so sad. But because of his accomplishments, which he worked very hard for, at least his death was publicized enough unlike 
uh, many others. How many others before this, you know, from his very community, probably. So according to the police, the case was very straightforward. And it was investigated thoroughly, as always, they say. And so they say that the two Perry boys had lost a bet in a basketball game that night. And um, they didn't have the money to pay up. And so they decided to mug someone in the area for, unfortunately for them, it happened to be an armed, plainclothes police officer. And Mm -hmm. several witnesses say that they saw the boys attack Van Houten and several residents of the 114th Street neighborhood where um, the... Uh, Perry family lived, which was a mm-hmm. tight knit community, but it's it had its its um, nuance to it for sure. They allegedly report some allegedly several members of this neighborhood allegedly reported that Jonah had returned home that night saying, "quote We got a DT," which means detective on the street, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jonah is the older brother. Remember, so after all of this, the investigation and everything, there were no charges, and um, after a few weeks leave. <sighs> He, Officer Van Houten, returned to duty and hasn't ever given an an interview that I could find or a statement whatsoever. Yeah. So, um, a little bit more about the other side. So, in the Entropy article that I read, which was really, really written, written, (laughs) which was written very well, unlike my notes are being said, (laughs) which was written really well um, by someone named Juan Williams. So, shout out to Juan Mm -hmm. Williams. Uh, His article was very helpful. So, in the article, it's... It's in August, and the shooting was in June of the same year, and he's interviewing Veronica Perry, the mother of both boys. And it's just a few months after the murder, so it's it's pretty fresh. And so there's a lot of like really um, powerful quotes from her that I'll that I'll I'll read because I just don't think I could paraphrase it in a better way. Yeah, and I yeah. So <laughs> anywho. <laughs> Uh, I didn't mean to be like, yeah, definitely. Well, you know what I mean? Like, how am I going to take the words of a woman about her death of her son and, like, paraphrases? You know what I mean? It just doesn't seem like my place even, you know? (laughs) So at the time of this article being written, I should also mention this beautiful piece. Her son Jonah is under indictment and facing prison time for the assault and attempted robbery of the the police officer. Uh, Who killed his brother? Correct. So at the time of this article being written, which was just two months after the, uh, you know, police officer walked free, her other, she lost her one son, 17 years old. Her 19 year old son, who's also a beacon of hope for this community, is under indictment and facing prison time for an assault and attempted robbery of his brother's murderer, a man who at this time is walking free and back at work. Right. And this is what she, Mm. she has to deal with now. So she says, quote, People need to focus on the real issue here. A 24-year-old officer who is trained and skilled in apprehending people felt it necessary to kill a 17-year-old unarmed youth. A white officer felt that way about my black child. And she goes on in the article to ask, If Ed were trying to attack him, why not bring him in? Who is Lee Van Houten to play judge, jury, and executioner for a mugging? He is nothing but a 24-year-old white boy from the suburbs. And, uh, and end quote. And that is really the bottom line here, because yeah. let's suppose for a moment that the officer's account of what happened is 100% true. Mm-hmm. On what planet does that give an unarmed, an unarmed mugging by teenagers? On what planet does that warrant the drawing of your gun, period? Right. Also, this is a detail. The question of why the two backup officers that were not in sight of Van Houten were there. Um, yeah. They were not following protocol. Protocol, 
because mm -hmm. uh, they should have had, by the deputy officer's own admission, they should have been inside of him at all times. But conveniently, I'm adding the conveniently in here, yeah. that the, the moment when a boy is killed, they're out of sight of him. Exactly. And that's never yeah. been explained. It's brought up in the trial, never explained. Right. How did you not see it? Not in trial, but you know what I mean? In the investigation, rather. I shouldn't yeah. say the trial because there was none. And then also, um, the family had asked a Long Island uh, forensic pathologist to be present when the autopsy was being performed, which I I'm sh was very smart. So yeah. um, this gentleman, Dr. Sidney B. Weinberg, he says, he reports that the wounds were, quote, downward and backward, end quote, and they were not consistent with the police report that Van Houten shot from a prone position. It's also, oh, okay. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And then- Like the angle of the bullets was from above. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so okay. it's also important to know that neither the boy, neither boy had ever wielded a weapon, no weapon was ever found, and the officer has never even mentioned a weapon in his own account. So mm -hmm. completely without any doubt, unarmed teenagers. Yeah. She also goes on to sort of talk about the relevance of the area where he was killed. And let's not forget the whole reason the cops were there was to investigate like a lot of crime in the area. So right. it's an area that is sort of targeted. And mm -hmm. she says, quote, the feeling is that people from Harlem shouldn't be over. If we are over there, they presume that we're up to no good. In the 1980s, that's nonsense, especially for my son. He'd been to France, all over Europe, to Barcelona, and I'm supposed to tell him he couldn't go a block away from home? He's right. gone to Spain and met rich white folks, but can't go to Morningside Heights because those folks are more prejudiced. Yep. Just, oh my God. Like, just like this. Ugh. So... <laughs> There's a poll on ABC uh, News around the same time of the crime. It doesn't say if it was like linked to the crime or not, but they had polled the people of New York City, and 56% 56, 56 of black people, 46% of Latinx New Yorkers, both felt it was common practice for police to rough up suspects illegally. Mm -hmm. And 18% of white people agreed only. <laughs> because yeah. they were never getting stopped and harassed by police. Exactly. Yeah. So just one month earlier, this is sort of the climate that all of this is happening in as well. So just one month earlier, oh my God, I didn't even want to read too much about this crime because I don't, I don't know if it's going to be covered or not. But if I do have to read this, that sounds nightmarish. But okay. just one month earlier, five New York City cops were indicted for torturing and beating black men in their custody. Two of those men that were beaten and tortured were teenagers, oh my God. 17 and 18. 25-year-old Michael Stewart, and I remember this I remember hearing about this case, um, was beaten, kicked, and hogtied by six police officers and died in custody for graffiti. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. And then this was all preceded by Eleanor, I'm going to say her name wrong, I think, Eleanor Bumpers. She was a 66-year-old uh, black grandmother, and she was killed by a police officer with a shotgun after ignoring an eviction order at her house. And she was holding a knife, supposedly, and the officer was never indicted. 66-year-old black woman was too intimidating for a officer with a shotgun. In her own home. Right. In, ignoring an eviction order. So this is the world that Edmund Perry was growing up in. Um, this is the world that many black youths grow up in. This yep. is the world that killed him and that continuously killed black people. And it's yeah. just like, even he, who his mother had, like, worked so hard 
worked so hard to get him out of a neighborhood that she knew was not going to help him at all on a summer break. It's just so tra- I can't even imagine. I can't even yeah. believe this. So it's not lost upon her or the community that was like rallying behind her. Of course, her community was behind her, the reverend and everybody that there's this focus to prove that her kids were somehow like not the upstanding citizens they made themselves out to be, you know? <laughs> well, of course. Yeah, you have to do that smear campaign so that the police look just. Exactly. And she asks when this ha- like in re- response to this, she asks of about Van Houten, quote, did the police give him a psychological test? How did he mm-hmm. come out of his training? What kind of person is he in his community? How does he treat his mother? And yeah, hello. Like wh- where is the deep dive into his life? That's right. You know? Van Houten was 24 years old, uh, married, and had been on the force for about two years, during which time he had never fired his gun in the line of duty. Extremely inexperienced. And there had been nothing but glowing reviews of him reported anywhere throughout the entire time. Lots of reports about how he hadn't used his gun before when he could have and, you know, all of this. So on um, January 24th, 1986... Jonah Perry was acquitted of all charges in relation to the crime against Van Houten. Thank, thank you, world. But there's a lot of criticism saying that there was a lot of pressure to not convict him because of how the view of how that trial had, or not how trial, that how that looked, you know? Yeah. And yeah. the article I read about him being um, acquitted had a lot of like, it really made me mad. It was in the New York Times <laughs> and I didn't cite it because like it made me really mad because even that yeah. article had like interviews with several of the jurors making sure that they were saying that they just didn't have enough evidence to acquit him to like to charge him with this and they thought it was like super super weak case but it in yeah. no way made them feel any differently than they would have felt about the Edmund Perry case right which is like why why is that necessary why is yeah. that necessary to include it all but they made sure they did. So mm-hmm. at least the bronze lining is that Jonah, <laughs> Jonah Perry walks free of, of all charges on this. And it's a celebration for him and his mother. There's a really beautiful picture of them, like really happy, embraced in the article. Eventually, the city uh, settles a wrongful desk. desk. Wow. Eventually, the city <laughs> settles a wrongful death suit with Veronica Perry for 75000 hmm. which is like a f- small fraction of what she asked for. But, you know, and she and didn't. No amount of money replaces a child or right. a human life. Yeah. She's quoted as saying the money didn't matter. She just want. she was really hoping to just get the settlement, the, the, um, what's the word? The, tr- the judgment. Yes. Yeah. In 1991, two years after she gets this, she died of a heart attack. Um, ah. She was 44 years old. And one article that was really beautiful says that you know the i mean it's cheesy but she's like i can't imagine she didn't die partially of a broken heart oh god it made me want to cry the article that says that was the article on entropy by alice stevens that i mentioned earlier and it's really Uh really beautiful she met edmund in her junior year while she was also studying abroad for her prep school um Mm -hmm. in barcelona and just the way she wrote the article is really sincere it's succinct it's it's thoughtful and in the credits area like about her it says that she's uh she debuted a novel in 2018 called famous adopted people i don't know anything about it but i i almost want to just buy the book based on this article i just can't (laughs) say enough about it so look it up it's really beautiful she wrote the piece in 2020 in the wake of george floyd's murder and she related how she's seen edmund's face who she knew as eddie every time any like news report of another black individual being killed by police she's always just kept thinking of 
of Eddie's face in her mind. And um, after everything that's happened this year, she felt compelled to like submit this article and whatnot. And so nice. Right. So part of her motivation for writing the story was that she feels that Eddie's name had totally disappeared from the papers, partially due to the fact that people forgot about his upbringing and focused on him being in like a well-to-do world. And so it didn't, it didn't land like in sensationalized news as it didn't, his name just didn't stay out there. And it wasn't too long before, you know, the media was like, had all these sensationalized cases of like Rodney King and OJ Simpson to focus on. And so she wanted to write this to sort of get his name back out there again. She described her friendship with him in Barcelona and how he recognized in her, her own discomfort as a Korean girl in Barcelona, surrounded by largely white folks, and especially since Eddie had already had to transfer out of his first host family because they were racist. And Mm -hmm. so they had made their own sort of friendship, uh, eventually had moved into their own groups of friends, but remained friendly. And uh, about two years after, you know, the uh, the internship, the studying abroad program, you know, they had obviously parted ways. They were from different areas of the country and she heard about his uh his death and she couldn't believe it of course because she knew this boy you know she couldn't believe he would be mugging someone let alone have a gun and all of the the language that that was being used like oh we found a dt was just not how they spoke at all right and so she describes how she experienced his death as part of the public who was no longer in his life like reading it in the press right and she says quote His life was dissected by the media, the now all-too-familiar tactic of claiming that the black boy was no angel and therefore had it coming. A sensationalistic book was written by the father of a white Exeter classmate, telling Eddie's story through what we now recognize as the lens of white bias. A made-for-TV movie based on the book aired, making a mawkish soap opera of his young life. Prep school classmates were interviewed who said he didn't try to fit in enough, was obsessed with race, had a chip on his shoulder. Uh, end quote and i included this quote especially because i saw this in interviews all these interviews she talks about i saw them in every article i read even the more like empathetic articles towards him were interviews like had a chip on his shoulder interviews with like people he went to prep school with people he uh like door uh, uh, a roommate of his and it just like trying to include the narrative just so everybody knew that like just so you know, he had a chip on his shoulder. He had a bad attitude, right. you know, like, which other people have said couldn't be f- further from the truth, you know? And yeah, yeah. I included the and even quote if he from did. the Spanish teacher before <laughs> to show, like, anything about his attitude was just, like, normal teenage boy stuff. And let's not forget, he grew up in a uh, in the neighborhood he did and then went to prep school surrounded by a bunch of white folks who had no idea and took his personal like life had no care or perception of what his life was like before going to this prep school right and like you were gonna say even if even if uh, yeah so i just yeah i really i purposely didn't include any of those quotes but i was like when i read this article i was like wow this is exactly how it read to me Mm-hmm. And I didn't read too much into, like, who who made the film or the book. I, I, I've seen on the Wikipedia page, obviously, it references the book and the movie. I was able to find the movie online to watch it. Um, mm-hmm. It was the movie I talked about earlier. And I didn't watch it because just after reading that, it made me feel like I don't know if I really want to watch it. I felt a little polarized. Um, mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. in the future, I'll probably watch it just to form my own opinion. But just reading 
her article and how much I trust her just from reading the article and her saying like who made the book and the movie it doesn't feel like something that is going to portray it in the way <laughs> accurately I and yeah and just yeah. to say I did go on the IMDb page for the movie and one of the reviews for the movie says it's like three sentences and it says something like murder without a motive the motive was mugging he mugged a police officer and got shot that sounds like justice to me so if that's what people are getting from the movie i'm gonna maybe pass yeah honestly yeah and like like i was saying even uh just all makes me so angry there's even if you are resisting arrest even if you are an asshole you nobody should be killed by a police officer exactly ever Exactly. And so it, it's just the, the the justifications and the mental gymnastics that people are doing to, it makes sense why people do this, right? Because we don't want to believe that a world, that our world is unjust. And so we do all of these mental gymnastics to explain away these situations where it's like, oh, maybe people are racist. Oh, maybe there are systems in place that oppress certain communities and identities. But people, there there is a very, it makes sense why people don't want to believe that and all of the awful things like that comment on the movie page that people use to explain these things away like oh he was robbing somebody so you know he he deserved it and no i'm sorry if you're robbing somebody you don't deserve to be shot and killed by police that's not in fact how our justice justice system works uh it's not how it's designed to work and um we should really think about uh reforming our entire justice system Honestly, I mean, and not really think about. It. We really need. We really must. Yeah, I think our justice system. I think we've been essential. thinking about it for a long time. I think it's time to like put the pedal to the metal and uh, you know get going. You know. Yeah, yeah. So she also goes on um, in the article to name many of the other black folks who've been killed by the by police over the years, and she says, "quote I know, I know now what I didn't in 1985. Eddie Perry's life was wrongfully ended by Lee Van Houten." I almost didn't let his life matter. Now I want the whole world to know his name, Edmund Perry. And then I just wanted to end with a quote from an article I read on medium.com where uh, Catherine Stout talks about her, how conversations about police violence and racism sort of like glaze over or leave out um, the upper to upper middle income communities where people of color are still being, you know, you're not safe, you know? And so, right, yeah, like class status and wealth protects you to an extent, but it's still, it's still not a. Uh, it's the word I'm looking for, anathema to, an anathema. That's the, yeah, yeah. Is that the word? Is that well, the right an- word? Anathema is like a mystery, isn't it, or like a, a paradox? Oh, that's definitely not the word I'm yeah. thinking of. Panacea. That's the word I'm oh, looking for. Okay. Which is like a, a solution, cure for all all problems. Yeah, I thought it was like uh, a right, custard. exactly. Oh no, that's panicata. <laughs> yeah, there's um there I there's this amazing book called Biased by and I'm let me just look up her name really quickly because I do not want to. Um, okay, so it is a book by Dr. Jennifer Eberhardt called Biased, uh, uncovering the hidden prejudice that shapes what we see, think, and do, and she talks about how the day before her like PhD graduation ceremony, she was like arrested by police and like thrown on the hood of a police car and stuff. So it it's, you just hear these stories over and over again mm-hmm. of regardless of these many other factors in your life, there, there are still countless ways that people are oppressed and harassed and killed by 
these systems that in in really unjust and unfair ways. Yeah. Yeah, even the the woman who wrote this article, she's PhD as well, and she in the article also talks a little bit about her experience as a black woman in the workplace and mm-hmm. how the her attitude is perceived differently because she's a black woman. So she's right. viewed as like aggressive or intimidating or too much. All the angry you know black I mean? woman tropes. Right. Yeah. And so she she talks about this a lot in the article. It's pretty short. It's it's also really well written. And she says, quote the dissociation manifests in the twisted myth that pr- police brutality is something that only happens to criminals and in the delusion mm-hmm. that education and money insulate wealthy black people from racism. The right. global moment of reckoning that we now face demands the acknowledgement of an essential truth. Anti-blackness is never about the character of the victim. It is always about the prejudice of the perpetrator. Yep. And that's the all I got for this. Oh, gosh rough yeah yeah it's a lot and it's and even it's just... sadder it's even sadder than the show case because they don't even have anything to put on on this boy to try to to try to defame him like no there's not even an attempt to defame him other than his he had a bad attitude sometimes Right. Like the fact, like if you look at the, if you compare the story to the TV show, in order to make it make sense for a TV show, they had to add an element of like drugs and impropriety and a gun purchase and a drug deal gone wrong in order for it to justify that justice was, you know, happening in in this story that uh, it wasn't solely based on prejudice or whatever. So, and it makes me wonder when you say when you frame it that way, which I think is accurate. It makes me wonder if the reason the police officer in the show takes his own life at the end of it, do you think that it's because similarly they need to? It, I want to know if you, which which thing you think it is. Do you think it's they need to sort of put some sympathy on the mm. uh, the? Uh, obviously violent criminal who did the wrong thing and murdered somebody in cold blood do you think they are putting sympathy on it by showing like oh he's so tortured and his life is over and stuff or do you think Mm -hmm. it's more like they wrapped it up that way because it it was so outrageous that in real life this man went free and it was so sensational that he did go free and it did start a lot of conversation about this that in the show they had to like sort of correct quote unquote correct it yeah i mean maybe both it's i think part of it is like the storytelling of it's so rare for cops to go to jail for you know improper conduct or misconduct or whatever you want to call it Mm. regardless of what that misconduct is that would the story have even been like believable as a tv show if they had ended that ended it that way because we see that so infrequently but i also like i i just think that I don't think we're meant to feel sympathetic for him because... Oh, no, I'm I'm sorry. I take that back. I don't think we're meant to interpret it as he is recognizing the gravity of this situation. No, yeah, not at all. Because they had, like, laid groundwork for, like, his wife left him. He's got a drinking problem, da-da-da-da-da. And so I think that they were they excused away the the racism mm. and the killing by making it all part of this bigger thing of this man's life was sort of falling apart right. and that's why he completed suicide so yeah i i don't think yeah that they... i guess it sort of like shows like okay yeah this guy is a really bad guy it has nothing yes. to do with his uniform correct yeah. yes well 
Thank you for listening. Um, don't forget to subscribe and rate and review us. That would be awesome. Take 10 seconds out of your day to do that. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ripped Headlines or email us at RippedHeadlinesPod at gmail.com. And don't we have a Facebook page now? And we have a Facebook page now. So you can also find us on Facebook. Just, you know, search, search for, for Ripped, Ripped Headlines. Ripped Headlines. Ripped from the headlines. You'll see our, from our the headlines. logo. <laughs> Whatever our name is. Yeah. Find us. Chat with us. Talk to us. Yell at us. <laughs> <laughs> sure all of those and things. subscribe subscribe please uh you want to know yes. when our new episodes come out you don't want us harassing you <laughs> no that's over right. social and, media uh, which i absolutely will and tell your friends tell your friends and we'll see you next week yeah goodbye there's a secret don't you keep it we're right by a grave there's pocket in your locket putting this one near the graves if i show you up a coffins and blonde women and two can keep your sockets, cause this one isn't dead. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>